This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Thursday, July 18th, 2019. My guest is Dr. Ian Catris of Anomtech. Hi, Ian. How are you? Hi, Miriam. Not too bad. You? I'm great. You know, I think you're the first PhD I've had on the show. That can't be true. Come on. Uh, either that or nobody puts doctor in their title. Oh, th- th- that's a recent change for me. Uh, you know, I've been in this industry 10 years, and uh, it wasn't until a few months ago I had other industry people saying, hey, you've earned this. You should be using it every day. <laughs> you know what? I do agree with that. Um, plus, you know, you worked really hard. Uh, you went to Oxford, right? That's pretty amazing. Chemistry, correct? Something like that. Hmm. <laughs> It's, um, I like how you're like, oh, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> That's fair. Um, no, it's important, I think, because of what you do, right? You are kind of a chip guru. It's probably a bit of a stereotype, but you are your your main focus is chips and chip making, and you do need a lot of knowledge to understand that stuff properly. So I think it's cool. Yeah, um, I mostly cover semiconductor space, you know, processors all the way through to devices. Now, um, my PhD was computational chemistry, so that's computers applied to chemical problems. Right, so um, using computers to crunch chemical problems, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, w- I was using, um, back then it was graphics cards with a new big thing to uh, accelerate compute, which is now obviously ubiquitous in supercomputers and stuff. So I, sure. helped, I helped bring that into a small little aspect. And that sometimes does help me when it comes to actually doing this job it's funny how those things work out right it's funny because you know i saw that and i assumed that you were uh, your specialty was like manufacturing the chemistry the chemistry around manufacturing semiconductors so yeah that makes more sense you know it's interesting i have an applied math degree um and a minor in electrical engineering but a lot of my applied math the reason i kind of decided to change from pure electrical engineering to this Weird thing they had for a little while at my university where they were giving people applied math degrees in engineering was because they wanted people to apply software to solve problems in engineering. And they wanted people who really understood the math so that they could, especially finite math, so they could apply it to solve these engineering problems. And I was good at math, so it's kind of like a natural thing for me. But basically, it's the same thing as you. I, I Basically, most of my career before I was a journalist was applied doing, you know, helping create computer algorithms to solve physical and engineering problems, basically. It's um, when we were studying, there's there's always a joke. It's never study chemistry, always study chemical engineering, because it's much more applicable to when you actually want to find a job. Indeed, indeed. And so, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm coming from. Uh, and, and of course, that brings us to come two topics. One of them I did not mention in my notes, but I, I, we have to cover. It's the 50th anniversary of us landing on the moon. And as both nerds, we should probably mention something about the computers on that mission. Um, but I don't want to spend too much time on it because the other big news I feel this week, and again, this is not mobile tech, but we cannot not acknowledge this uh, as scientists ourselves. And that's the the Neuralink, right? This this new technology, well, it's probably not new, but more packaged for the mass, for more, maybe not quite the masses yet, but packaged for a more consumer level uh, brain machine interface that Elon announced, um, I guess, yesterday, right? 
something like that. I, I see it's I, I, I'm a bit skeptical about it, but we'll get onto that in a second. I mean, I, I'm too. I mean, to be frank, it's it's you know this the research has been going on forever, but you know sometimes it takes a special you know visionary or whatever to kind of like turn it into something that 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 becomes more easily accessible, right? Because a lot, I worked in medical research for a long time, medical imaging. That's how I became, a, you know, that's the first applied math stuff that I did. And then I moved to video games because, you know, I, I love the challenge of the kind of bleeding edge. And if you want to do software on the bleeding edge, you either be, you know, you have to be in kind of research or or military or video games is how I look at it. So I went to video games, but I'm fascinated as somebody who, you know, did a lot of biophysics work at what what you know elon and his team or whatever scientists they've got there are going to bring to the table because the reality is you know a lot of this is very elon very pie in the sky you know very lots of promises but you know the promise here is something that's much more miniaturized much easier to implant much um much more consumer friendly and hopefully more affordable and i think with lots of people out there with disabilities through injuries uh, and other re- for other reasons that might uh, need to control prostheses or you know whatever it might be might be able to want to be able to type on a keyboard but are can't use any limbs to do it whatever this I think you know right now that technology does exist but it's very very kind of like you have to be in the right place at the right time with the right funding and the right people in your life to access this stuff I want to see people that are I want I want that technology to become more accessible and I hope that's what Neuralink is trying to do. It's 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 one of these things where Elon, you know, visionary or villain, you know, choose, choose your adjective. Exactly. Um, but he, these are all laudable goals, and I and I and I don't deny that. Right? It's 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 clear trajectory that the human race is going on into. You know, however much you like technology, this uh, this stuff is going to happen. Exactly. Um, it's just it's it's just the fact that we, from 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 a, a general, you know perspective among regular people we're so far away from that being so heavily integrated now you, you know elon's famous for his you know moonshot-esque 10 10 50 year ideas um yeah. and the so the Neuralink announcement um he said it wasn't necessarily so much about the product but just about getting the word out there for hiring the right people which is oh, is, is is which is going to be state stage one of this right, right. um so it's like the Tesla Roadster stage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, we, we, we have an idea. We've been working on it or we've you know, had partners working with it and it's got a you know, few decades of research behind it, but we actually want to throw some serious money behind it. Or we found people who would like to invest in order to throw serious money behind it, which is a slightly different thing. Um, yep. What, what um, worries me here is uh, the whole concept of... Um, brain machine interactions is how you define that interaction right everything's done on a um on a detection and response right if you can detect somebody wanting to do something and you can respond then things happen right. now computers do this by communicating in ones and zeros the human brain does it by more communicating in concepts things are analog in the brain whereas things are digital yeah, um, with machines, and that's a hard barrier to overcome. I mean, the, this this Neuralink um, device, this concept that um, Elon was showcasing up on stage, 
uh, you know, it's it's seven th several thousand flexible wires, each with a very amount of electrodes, um, all designed to go into an amplification system and then into a computer. Now, <laughs> speaking of um, what our backgrounds were, uh, electrodes are the forefront of electrochemistry, which is what my PhD was in. And the whole point about electrochemistry is about detecting electrode potentials, depend uh, detecting voltages in the brain. Right. So. Now, voltages in the computer, again, zero, one. Uh, voltages in the brain, it's it's a range. Um, and it's super, very it's super small amounts, right? Like, it's super sensitive. Agreed. And the barrier we have right now is deciding, well, what signals actually mean what things, right? right? If it was that right. easy, then we would have, if we would have solved lots of problems with the brain already. I mean... Alzheimer's is a thing that's not very well understood. We know it affects certain parts of the brain in certain ways, but knowing exactly how the brain interacts when it has that damage is difficult. It's um, I, I, I put it akin to um, understanding cats and dogs would be easier than understanding the brain. Yeah, if, no, absolutely. If we had a direct translation from what a meow was into what a cat wants, then <laughs> you know that that would be st that, that that that's the equivalent of going to Mars and landing on the moon. It's right. stage one. <laughs> no, absolutely. So, uh, I think. Sorry, go on. Uh, yeah, no, I was going to say. You know, forg forgive me for being a skeptic. I I fully applaud the goal. Um, it's yeah. It's I, I I still think it's deep in that research stage, and being able to commercialize it at this point is is still a big leap. And I agree with you 100%, but I also know Elon, as you know myself, a Tesla customer, uh, somebody who's been a car enthusiast for a long time and, you know, was very skeptical about Tesla in the early days until as I, when I worked at Engadget, I was lucky enough to be one of the first tech journalists to drive a, the, the Model S before a lot of the other tech journalists went alongside the car journalists, basically. And it blew me away. And that's when I knew I had to have one one day because I, I totally understood that it, it married all the things that I held dear as a car enthusiast. And and again, so I think I want to, you know, and, and you know, SpaceX, um, you know, the whole Mars thing obviously is a pie in the sky still thing still at this point. But I wouldn't be surprised if, if Elon manages to achieve it, you know, by dragging enough people, kicking, streaming and raising enough money. Um, so, you know, I, I want to, I will also want to say that I understand some of the science, not nearly as much as you, because it's not my specialty. But you know, I, a lot of my work, um, early work in medical stuff, was DSP, you know, signal processing, image processing, and so you know, I understand the challenges of taking an analog signal and an analog universe and trying to understand it in a digital way. So I know this is going to be super challenging, but I kind of feel like, again, he's it's it's as you said, a lot of it is kind of like either trying to get investors or trying to get scientists. And that's the first step, I think. You know, I, I really do feel like every time I look, and, and this is, my dad used to be a doctor and like a medical doctor. So I, I have this very love-hate relationship with the medical world. And I feel that if you leave this in the hands of, you know, if you leave this kind of stuff in the hands of just pure research people or pure, you know, the medical universe, you're not going to get anywhere. Um, not as fast anyway. And and I think that that's why I'm excited about this. I'm like, okay, you know, yes, it's probably presented in a very pine sky and in a matter of fact, we'll get this done 2020, whatever the promises are. Of course, none of that's going to happen on time, but at least now that that urgency exists and it's driven by kind of private investment and industry. And, and again, that usually leads for 
better results and sometimes you know lots of issues around those better results look at what facebook google and the others are bringing us in terms of privacy and 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 security in terms of issues right so so that's kind of why i'm excited about it so uh, i i bring up the fact that um you know elon musk's other ventures um you know you, you brought them up tesla spacex even something like the boring company right um, all of those have a very direct, obvious commercial endpoint, right? Yeah. You, you know, Tesla was all about um, cars and storing electricity. Boring Company is all about transport. SpaceX is all about space travel. And they're able to either get consumers, uh, regular consumers to buy cars, or they're able to get governments to buy contracts to put stuff into space. Or at some point, they're going to be able to, you know, put people... Uh, from San Francisco to LA very quickly. Um, with with Neuralink, you know the, the the obvious commercial aspects are you know the ability to you know carry to, uh, manipulate a mech to the point where you can carry tons with just a whim or a thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but the funnel to get there, the very specific funnel to get there, is very narrow and it's very far away. That that that, yeah. that, that that's what makes it a moonshot. What the best outcome? If the, of this is if if this team is able to you know translate those analog concepts into a digital world is if they made the patent royalty free right no i that, agree that's true that would you know it's it's the same thing with car safety the three-point seat belt which i if i remember correctly was um was developed by volkswagen was or volvo in one of the biggest volvo volvo yep. yeah that that was given you know no trademark, no no royalties, no patents. Just everybody use it because this will, you know, expand the industry and this will improve safety. Yeah, that market has to have that sort of point at some at some point in its future. I see this product more as you know, again, because of the U.S. healthcare system being as messed up as it is. I see this more as a way to go. If I talk to my, if uh, you know, if I have an accident and I'm, I'm, I'm paralyzed or I lose a limb and I, I have the, you know, maybe I, I'm not, you know. Right now, you have to not only have a lot of money, but have a lot of connections in the right places in the healthcare system to get the best prosthetics, right? Yep. I think this, at least, and at least, you know, this is not, they're not making prosthetics at Neuralink, but they're making the interface to prosthetics. And that is one of the big barriers right now in terms of cost and in terms of kind of like research enus in the sense that it's not consumer ready. And I, that, I'm hoping that will accelerate that because I think a lot of people need to be able to benefit from this. People that, you know, want their quality of life back now will not have to wait years of years and years to be approved to be in a research project where they can get the prosthesis they want. If, you know, they raise enough money, they'll be able to uh, get to it faster um, you know, it'll be like, you know, FDA approved, hopefully quickly, and then they can just, you know, just decide to have that surgery and, and, and get their doctor to refer them and it's done. And then, you know, they have at least a basic interface um, that is hopefully st- kind of standardized in so far that there's other people, you know, kind of like, well, we're going to make a say compatible with Neuralink because Neuralink is the most accessible interface right now. You know what I'm saying? That kind of thing. The same way as like, yes, superchargers are not standard, although the sort the the patent is open and people can can use it if they want. But right now, if you want the best long distance EV experience, that's the only way to fly, right? So I think that that's kind of what got me excited about it is that I think it's going to become a little 
it's going to become accessible to more people faster than if it just was left in the hands of government regulators, healthcare regulators, and generally speaking, the healthcare industry. You know, it's. I love your optimism. I'm. I'm <laughs> I, I, I'm going to play devil's advocate and and say, and this leads to something very Black Mirror esque. But it could be. I mean, again, the mil- I'm sure the military has been doing this for years now. Yep. We don't just don't know about it to control fighter jets and whatever else. But, you know, this is also why I brought up the Apollo thing. And I want to kind of maybe transition to that is because, you know, the Apollo thing is the last time, at least from a U.S. perspective and maybe from a world perspective. You know, I'm, I'm a citizen of three countries. I've lived in Europe. Um, so I, I'm not just like a very American view of the world. Um, but I feel like it's the last time that, you know, a big public um, thing happened, public in the sense of funded by the public, funded by government programs, you know, with partnership with the private industry, of course, that, that the last time we did something absolutely insanely spectacular and, and that had no real purpose. I mean, I'm sure it brought a lot of technology and knowledge, and but like, let's just go to the moon. Like, it's not, we didn't go to the moon to mine it. We didn't go to the moon to like, you know, we just went to the moon. You know what I'm saying? We just like, let's put a human to the moon. And I think that's amazing. And I was born the year that we landed on the moon because I'm old. And, you know, I was born a few months before July 1969. And I, you know, remember watching the later missions on TV, like barely remember because I was three years old or something for the last one. And as a child, I was reading so much about you know, NASA and going to space. And I was really into it. Like, I didn't want to be an astronaut because I knew better, but I I think it, it in many ways shaped me as a human to become an engineer, as you know, somebody who loves technology, you know, and Neuralink, yeah, you're going to say, why are we talking about this on a mobile tech podcast? Well, because, you know, mobile technology, the ultimate end game of mobile technology is implants. I've always said that it's going to happen. Right. And, you know, as things shrink down, you know, you look at when your earbuds are really implants, like they're almost there, right? Like, I mean, they're so close to you, you're so small, so convenient that, you know, they have their flaws, but I think they're, they're a very good example of that. And, and, you know, smartphones are turning into smart glasses eventually, or smartwatches or whatever wearables from the next step from wearables is implants. And again, this is going to happen whether you like it or not. And so as mobile tech, as a multi-tech podcast, I feel like I have to look at that. And because Neuralink is very kind of pie in the sky, I, I, and because it's the week or two right now period of the 50th anniversary of the moon landing, I want to bring up the moon landing as an example of something we did that didn't really have much of a purpose, but kind of united us all as a, as a people worldwide to really um, kind of push science and technology so that we could do this crazy behind the sky thing. And then from there, we like trickle down so much technology and stuff that we use every day, Velcro, lasers. Um, I mean, I don't know, the list is huge. Composite materials, it's, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's considered, you know, the biggest achievement in human history to date, right? And it happened, you know, 50 years ago. The fact that the biggest rocket ever made was 50 years ago. And at, to, to that point, we've now managed to get 12 people to walk on the moon. Now, competition is a funny thing. It makes people go above and beyond. Um, the, uh, the US it competing with Russia to get the first person on the moon. That's one of the real big benefits that competition has in this space. Now, and, um, it's, it's, you know, it's being, being, 
you know, a bit of a Trekkie and, uh, you know, I want space travel to be a thing and I want international diplomacy to be all, all good. And I want all this, all this technology to come out and it's, it's built on the foundations from projects like that. And actually one of the best films I've watched in recent years is hidden figures. The talk talking about, yes, yes. um, you know, the female computational experts who powered the Apollo missions without them, that it wouldn't have happened. Um, you know, uh, Catherine Johnson is a uh, is is just such a monumental figure in all of Absolutely. that. Absolutely, yeah. And, and you- if if you haven't seen the film, see it. It's it's. I mean, <laughs> a bit people listening. If you haven't seen the film, see it. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. And you know, that actually brings us back to mobile tech as, as like the thing you hold in your hand today. We're going to talk about phones. Don't worry. We have a lot on the podcast to talk about still, but, but you know, that, that chip, you know, it, it, the reason it's so small and fast is in great part because of us, you know, going to the moon because we had to make a computer that was small and fast and power efficient. And, you know, it's less the computer on Apollo and, you know, there's two, well, there's multiple computers. There's a computer in the rocket, there's a computer in the command module, computer in the lunar module. Computer in command module and lunar module are identical and redundant, but they were less powerful than your microwave today. Like the, the little chip in your microwave that lets you set a timer and control it. Yep. Um, but look at us, look at us now, right? I mean, microprocessors just went like the whole microprocessor industry skyrocketed rocketed in the 70s after after the moon right and that's where you know eventually brought us to the pc to the internet and to the mobile technology we have today so with with, with less power we went to the moon with more power we look at cat photos yes but that's of course you know because cats cats rule the world the pace um, of progress yeah, but I look, I think the reality is it's it's amazing and all this science stuff got me very excited whether it's Neuralink or the moon and um you know it is a part of you cannot talk about phones you cannot talk about the impact of phones on the on the world if you don't talk about these things you know that's why oftentimes I talk about electric cars and I talk about you know other scientific and engineering and technology topics on the show because you have you cannot be critical and smart about your opinions and views of, you know, the topic that's your main topic. For you, that's, you know, covering chips. For me, it's covering mobile tech. If you don't understand the context. And I think that is that is why I like to have these tangents and distractions on the show. Sure. Um, <laughs> so, so, so I want to bring one up because I forgot to mention it to you earlier. But did you see the news about this, um, this lens, chroma- lens chromatic aberration? problem solved um no so there's several types of aberration in lenses to do with color and distance um just just being able to take a perfect picture and the the results have been known you know to make the perfect lens analytically but not um as like you know a functional equation that could just be put numbers in to get the right data this has been an unsolved problem for two thousand years and a couple of guys have done it with um an interesting story about not eating some um, Nutella spread on toast. Um, <laughs> and it's, do you have it, a link you can share with me later today? Uh, I will do. Yeah, it's. Okay, um, I mean, the, the the equation looks insane, um, but apparently the the guy who um, you know who essentially had his eureka moment, and 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 he said mother in Spanish when uh, he realized what the actual equation was. Like I said, when he was making his own toast, 
Um, <laughs> so, I mean, the, 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 this equation, which has been you know published and peer reviewed, um, will mean that it will, should be very easy from now on to make lens without aber- aberration defects. Wow! Um, so it's going to be another quantum leap forward for mobile photography. It's it it should it should be able to it should I mean we still have to ensure that the manufacturing processes do what they need to do right in order to get it and it won't necessarily make them cheaper but it should make lenses more accurate because we now actually have a definitive equation of how light enters lenses and how it should be perceived on the other side that is fantastic that is definitely a nut we have been trying to crack for a long time I, I had no idea I need to I need to find that. Uh, the, the the funny thing is, um, so on the gaming side, um, I mean, there are lots of visual effects that are made in games, designed, you know, to um, simulate these aber- aberration effects when you you, know, yeah. you pretend, you know, you're Pokemon Snap when you're looking down a camera, or when you're yeah. looking down the barrel of a gun in Call of Duty or what have you. Right. The, the developers actually try and implement these lens effects. Now they don't have to because the lenses will be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so it makes gaming faster right that's amazing it's but like people this are going to find effect. it doesn't look real quote unquote you know what I'm saying oh yeah that, that, you know, yeah. in the same sense as who was it I think the guy who did Transformers what's his name the director I can't remember you know his extra use of lens flares on everything yeah fake even in movies so it's not just games right it's the uncanny valley sort of thing isn't it it's so. the uncanny valley so speaking of we're getting back closer to mobile tech after 25 minutes um i want your thoughts on that snapdragon 855 plus that qualcomm announced this week i gotta give them some kudos for that they did invite me to the briefing i couldn't make it it just didn't work in terms of timing i did the snapdragon 215 briefing instead and i kind of regret it now <laughs> but uh what's your what's your thoughts on this 855 plus um so yeah. so so the 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 new chip um it, it increases the speed of the primary turbo core by a few percent it increases the frequency of the graphics by uh i believe about 15% um that's pretty much it this is um so the the chip has been out now almost a year um, the 855. Uh, so this is the 855 plus with you know the slightly enhanced frequencies. This is the natural evolution of how a manufacturing process works. Uh, the okay. manufacturing process over the year, the uh, TSMC who manufactures the chip has been able to you know optimize its process internally, um, make it more refined, and that obviously has additional benefits. Now these benefits are usually realized in two different ways. Either you can keep the same frequencies and use slightly less power, which would give you more battery life, um, or you can keep the same power but slightly increase frequency, which will give you better performance. Um, either way, efficiency is increased. Now back 20, this used to happen 20, 30 years ago in the PC space, but not a lot was, it was just, you know, kind of rolled into the same product and people just, you know, assumed that over the over the lifetime of the product, the newer ones would be better. This time, as the, the mobile space and the PC space, every time there's a very minor enhancement in the manufacturing process, people come out with new chips because they're slightly faster, right. slightly more efficient, which is fair enough, because if you're a company that has a efficiency advantage over your competition, you're going to use it and you're going to market as much as you can out of it. So... You know, glad, glad it's coming out. Um, though you can imagine that Qualcomm has its next generation chip, you know, down the barrel, almost in the firing line, ready for you know next generation flagships as well. So it's good. We're going to see a few phones use it. Um, 
we can uh, was it one's already been announced and we can probably guess another one or two off the bat that will probably use this basically any anybody that wants to come out with a snapdragon 855 chip at this point um, if they want to pay you know the extra small amount of money for the plus version for the increased performance go for it do you think this is similar to what Asus used in the ROG, ROG sorry, phone? Yes, last year where they had that specially, you know, hand-picked 845? Uh, hand-picked, it's... Yeah. Quote-unquote, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, it's. I mean, they, they put a lot of emphasis on it. We have the fastest, you know, Snapdragon 845 chip. And it was literally just, you know, an optimized, um, an optimized version off the line. So mm-hmm. it's... Um, for, for those that don't know, when you create processor chips you know on a silicon wafer through the manufacturing process these these chips are kind of like cookies some have chocolate chips in some don't the ones that have the chocolate chips in they perform the best and you can optimize them to be slightly higher performance or slightly higher efficiency than the rest now what qualcomm will do is they'll get you know get tsmc to make a few wafers of 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 their processors and some will be better than others now right the ones that are better they can label as you know the snapdragon 8000 series the ones that aren't can be you know a similar design but lower frequency on the lower end and what this is is this is another step up from that so and they'll charge accordingly for it yeah and you'd expect that um it's interesting to me because you know as you said we're so close to getting the next generation processor and uh you know we i just mentioned the rg phone which i like to call rog phone to piss off some of the people that don't like you know i've had a few gamers yell at me for that i'm like seriously guys just just relax okay it is just a brand. Uh, so Asus, uh, you know, did the ROG phone last year. And of course, with the Snapdragon 855 Plus announcement, the first logical question is who is going to be the first to have a device with this? Well, whether they'll be the first or not, the first to announce a device for this is Asus again with the ROG phone 2. We kind of half expected it. It's um, Asus seemed to be very adamant in having this sort of gaming phone device, this um, premium sort of half generation launch device. Um, if I remember correctly, last year it came out with almost a thousand dollars worth of potential accessories you could right. buy for it. Um, chances are we're going to see the same thing again here. They've not actually announced anything else with the phone yet. Just the fact that it's going to have the new processor. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, look, I I liked the ROG phone for the brief time I used it last year, but I didn't like it enough to really be too excited a bit, to be frank with you. So I don't know what to to make of this, frankly. It's 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 in in the mobile space we have this weird thing where um, companies that normally play in the PC space, a lot of their revenue has derived over the last few years due to gaming, because you can have a standard PC and you can have a gaming PC, and the gaming PC is going to be faster. In the mobile space, it's hard to necessarily differentiate with a gaming phone because it has exactly the same hardware as a flagship. Yeah. So you have to differentiate in other ways. In this case, it was having that very slightly faster bin, uh, very slightly faster processor with the ROG uh, first-gen phone. Then they also bundled it with that fan that clasped in the back to help with cooling so you could get the bonus performance for longer. you know, which comes into the concept of, well, how do you make a gaming phone when the flagships already have all the top-end spec? 
Well, let's talk about that in a second, but back to the RG Phone 2 for a second. One of the rumors, they did not confirm this, but what, what Asus has confirmed is that they're making this phone with a Snapdragon 855 Plus, and that's all we know. We don't know anything else about it in terms of like availability, pricing, features, but there are some leaks that came quite shortly thereafter indicating that it would now have a 120 hertz display, probably OLED. I assume it's OLED because it had an OLED 90 hertz display last time. Have we seen OLED displays at 120 hertz yet? Um, we've seen 4K OLEDs. Yeah, but but you know the highest refresh we've seen on OLED is 90. Most of the monitors for gaming that do 144 hertz or 120 hertz are IPS. The yep. Razer Phone, Razer Phone 2, have an IPS display that's 120 hertz. Uh, but none of the OLEDs have been higher than 90, like the ROG original and like the Red, uh, the Red Magic 3 by Nubia, and of course the OnePlus 7 Pro uh, that have 90 hertz OLEDs. So it'd be interesting to see if they make this 120 hertz an OLED or an IPS. I hope they don't make an IPS. I don't really want to go back to IPS. It's me though. Yeah, I, I, maybe you need to go back to $200 phones for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, how do you feel about that? Do you, do you feel the days of IPS are done, like in terms of smartphones at the high end? Or do you think that there's still some life left? Last year's G7 from LG was one of the nicest IPS panels I've ever used. It's, 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 we're in that weird thing of, you know, do you actually do, is the one thing that makes you buy a smartphone over another one, the OLED, the fact that it's OLED over IPS? No. Uh, and I, and I would say no. If you can, if you can make your phone great in other areas, the fact that if it has an OLED or an IPS or not is neither here nor there. Right. I mean, I mean it's, for me... It's a plus, yes, but... Yeah, I think for me the big de the deal is, of course, if you want an in-display fingerprint reader and an under-display camera, which are both things that are going to be pretty commonplace soon, you need an OLED display at this point. So I think the writing's on the wall for IPS, in my opinion. Um, didn't LG just announce that they're creating a new factory to make OLED panels as well? Yeah. I wouldn't so, be surprised. I so, mean, LG. So that, yeah, that, LG's been driving OLED forever now. Um, ironically, they made their G7 last year with an IPS panel, but hey, it was the brightest IPS panel ever on a phone. So there you go. <laughs> um, but look, I'm 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 looking forward to it. I'm not a gaming phone person. I'm not, you know. I mean, I think this Snapdragon 855 Plus is, you know, interesting, and you know, I like. I find that Qualcomm, as usual, is very smart marketing. Let's make a little extra money on people who want these gaming things and get the manufacturers to make devices for this by giving them a chip. It's it's very, you know, they're very smart about this. Um, is it for me? Probably not. And the reason I'm saying that is in case you haven't seen it yet, um, I'll have links to all of these things, of course, in the show notes, as usual. But I wrote a story on Android Police this week that was published on Tuesday uh, about me using that Nubia Red Magic 3 as a normal phone. So it's not a full review because I didn't want to spend the time on a review with benchmarks and, you know, all that stuff. But I wanted to kind of more like tell a story of me using this phone for a few days and treating it like a flagship phone. And the the impetus behind that was that if you look at that phone on paper and you remove all the gaming stuff, you don't care about the gaming aspects. The specs are really impressive, right? Uh, Snapdragon 855, 8 gigs of RAM, you know, 4, 000, uh, sorry, 5,000 milliamp hour battery, uh, Sony IMX586 48 megapixel camera module, um, you know, nice OLED display, um, plain Android or stock Android, whatever you want, uh, very close to stock Android. So all these things that people look for 
in a flagship, or at least the kind of people who listen to the show look for in a flagship. And I was like, what if you ignore the fact that it's got a built-in fan and shoulder buttons and a blinking light in the back and all that stuff, and it has that awful, you know, gaming aesthetic. What if you ignore all that? And you just look at the specs and you look at the price, which in the US is 479 US dollars. And it's available today with a warranty supported by the company in the US, unlike, say, the uh, Zenfone 6, which is still not out in the US officially. Uh, of course, you can buy it. And it's, of course, the closest competitor, but it's not a gaming phone. But if you're looking at just the flagship specs. So I wrote the story. You should read it. It's basically you know, my, my experience using the phone as a, as a non-gaming phone. And, uh, the takeaway is that it totally passed the test. It's great. It's, it's really good for the money. My only big two concerns with it were big, like not concerns, the big negatives for me were the size of the phone. It's massive. It's bigger than a OnePlus 7 Pro and the, uh, lack of NFC. I use Google Pay all the time, and you can't use Google Pay when you don't have NFC. And then the two niggles, I would say, more like question marks are the camera is pretty damn good for because it's a good module and a good, you know, good system, but it could be better because the software is very meh. So, you know, hopefully we'll see a Gcam Google camera, po uh, Pixel camera port for this phone, and or you might need to install some third-party apps to benefit from a better experience it's still good i mean it's fine out of the box it's just not you know quite as good as some of the better flagships um and it's a single lens only and then the other thing is um updates will this phone get updates will this phone uh you know be supported by the company for another year or two because you know they just made the red magic mars like three months before this so like and there's already talk and rumors of a snapdragon 855 plus version of the the Red Magic 3, maybe the Red Magic 3 Plus. So at the pace that Nubia is going, do, are they going to just drop support for these old phones? I, I'm not sure. What's your take on all of this? Well, it's um, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts because get gaming gaming phones, you know, they're obviously de uh, optimized for getting as much performance out you can, but they also want as much battery life as you can. So these things should be really, really efficient. Even with the and with, when you cool them down, they'll even be even be more efficient. And the fact that it has a five thousand milliamp hour battery must mean that the battery life is pretty good. Yeah, in my tests, I had easily two days two days of heavy use. I can see this lasting for three days, no problem for most people. And at the kind of level of performance you expect from a flagship, um, I also the, I completely forgot to mention this. I did earlier in our discussion about displays, but this is the only phone at that price point with a ninety hertz OLED. So it's it's not a Quad HD OLED like the OnePlus Seven Pro. It's a ten eighty p OLED, but it's a really nice ten eighty p OLED, and it's ninety hertz. The entire UI, everything runs at ninety hertz ironically many games only run at 60 hertz so you know do you really benefit from a 90 hertz display on a gaming phone question mark that's another story somebody should write i, I mean today uh, probably in six months it'll be different but um i like the smoothness of the user experience on this phone simply because in fact you can't even change it to a lower lower refresh rate you're stuck at 90 hertz in every app you run other than the games that bring it down to 60 and and in in every ui ex interaction which makes it feel like a oneplus 7 pro in many ways it's, it's really delightful so 
I had a, I felt for the money, it's a really good experience. It, you know, it's a very narrow window though, because the Zenfone 6 is coming to the US soon. There's other phones like the, the you know, Redmi K20 Pro, which are insane for the money. Uh, of course, they don't have stock Android. They don't have 90 Hertz display. So, you know, uh, interesting, interesting little exercise, this phone to, to kind of use, not as it was intended. But you're right. I saw that a lot of performance benefit, especially for sustained stuff like, you know, video recording, um, uh, when you did, when I did a lot of apps running at the same time, they did some number crunching, uh, like photo editing and stuff. I noticed that because it has a fan um, and it's such a massive battery, the thing never got warm in my hands and it never skipped a beat. It just kept going, going, going at pretty much full-blown performance the whole time. Do you remember when Huawei started to get really big? And at the time, they yeah. were putting out like, you know, 40, 50, 60 phones a year. And then they started to consolidate down to focusing on, you know, the sort of uh, three main brands, the sort of 10 phones a year model, because they wanted just a more volume with fewer, um, fewer versions. I do. I think these, you know, the Chinese companies, I mean, Oppo's kind of, kind of gone this way already, but uh, companies like Nubia, you know, they can't just keep pumping out a new version or a new variant of phones every three months. At some point, they're going to have to take a look and say, we need to consolidate some of this and put more effort into a single device or you know I one device <laughs> sit, you know one device at one or two devices per year you know maybe for the gaming market when when the gaming mobile market i think kind of finds its feet because it's still only sort of second generation stuff oh my god it is and it's it's really early on i wouldn't suggest anybody buy a gaming phone even if they're a gamer because the flagships do such a great job at gaming and because there's no support like you know you map the shoulder buttons that are capacitive on these devices to an area on the screen the, the app the, the games don't natively support these buttons most of them and the 90 hertz display isn't support or 120 hertz on the razor so it's like uh why do you want this and, and then they look ugly in my opinion but that's that's just me and well i mean so i do play a few games on the smartphone but they're all kind of you know simple 8-bit ones the ones that don't take any graphic abilities as i uh, you know i could play it on a ba i could play the stuff i play on a basic 200 dollars phone um you know mobile, mobile gaming needs to needs to approach the levels of say the switch yes in terms of you know not only the the ips ip that people can play but also you know the scale of AAA games and you know, it, it'll it'll come to a head. It'll come somewhere. You know, maybe using smartphones as a wireless connection to a augmented reality headset. Maybe that's the future. Who knows? Yeah. No. Absolutely. I, I think. Look, it's inevitable that we're going to get um, the same thing that happened with gaming laptops. They're a thing. They're real. Or gaming PCs. Like it's there's legitimacy here. I don't doubt that it'll happen with phones. But right now, I just don't think people should bother. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to kind of flip this on its head and, ex and do it the other way around. What if you bought this phone that's a gaming phone just because of the price and the specs? Would you be satisfied? And I think my, my conclusion was some people would have zero issues. For me, it was NFC that really held me back. Um, it has a headphone jack even. Like, come on, it's great. Um, for some people, it would be the multiple cameras. They want the wide angle on the telephoto, and I get that. And this only has a single. But at least that single is decent. It's, it's up there with the other... Um, uh, IMX586 equipped phones, even if the software is a little, could, could use a little love. But again, you know, Gcam ports are a dime a dozen these days for most phones. So, you know, don't worry too much about it is what I'm saying. Yeah. Good phone. Um, speaking of as well, um, 
you know, it's interesting because I finally got my hands on a Nokia 9. I know it's like, I'm a little behind the curve here. I, I explained on last week's show, where we also talked about that Switch Lite, by the way, since you brought up the Nintendo Switch. You know, I said, you know, it's... The Nokia 9 was announced at MWC. I got to play with it there, and then I requested a review in it, and it was crickets. And then, because I'm not top-tier media, I didn't get one right away, And but the top-tier media did get one, and they did not like it very much, as you know. Right? I remember reading, yes. And so, as such, immediately I got a lot of resistance when I kept asking for a device from the PR folks and the people at HMD, even though I have some good connections there. You know, Ben's a wonderful person to deal with. Um, but I could tell, like, they were putting the brakes on, and I was like, guys, come on, like, you know, I, I know I'm probably going to be as critical as these other folks, but it needs to happen. Like, this imaging is a huge part of what I cover. I've been a passionate mobile photographer for years. I need to get my hands on this phone. And so it took a long time, but eventually they finally, you know, um, acknowledged that I should get one, and I finally got one. But it wasn't even new in the box, so I couldn't do an unboxing video or anything. My audience on YouTube really likes them. so. <laughs> but I might do a little review and, and run you through things. Um, the reason I'm bringing up the Nokia 9, though, is other than the fact that I have one. And yes, the camera is very flawed. It, it's interesting because it's, it's a great idea, but a very poor execution. And the biggest problem is the performance of the camera in terms of, uh, you know, speed. Uh, and and the consistency of the results in terms of quality. There's a lot of potential there, but I think this is definitely one of those products that needs to wait for a second gen to become... And I mean, because it needs more hardware oomph to really realize its potential. Um, and then, you know, the reason I'm bringing it up too is because um, I don't know if you have had this phone in the UK for a while, but we just got the Nokia 2.2 in the US for $140 US dollars. And it's unlocked and officially supported and everything and this was also announced at mwc but the cool thing about this phone is that it's not bad specs for 140 dollars and it has a bit of a throwback to the past with a removable battery so i just had to bring it up yeah it's it's yeah the um i mean the the pure view with its five cameras um mwc was what almost six months ago now yeah you you'd think that a company the size, you know, well, HMD and um, using the Nokia brand, they would have been able to improve the ability of those camera, of their camera processor and of their camera module since um, to at least provide, you know, at least waylay some of the concerns that the v- reviewers had when it was, when it was first announced. I you mean, would that, think. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, that, that, that thing has five main sensors, three RGB, two black and white, and they're all 12 megapixel and they're all arranged in this sort of arrow formation and they all and it uses this combinate this light um branded and created soc to merge the data into a single image it's not always been too clear on how that works because well they you know say under proprietary technology and stuff um but this was an opportunity for the company to say hey look we're doing something really different and we ha- we are a specialist in engineering, and this is how we can do it. And I don't think that the company necessarily promoted themselves in that way because I don't know I get the feeling sometimes with with these Nokia devices, or at least the high end ones, that they're not willing to dip their toe. They're not willing to push the necessarily the marketing dollars or to get the right messaging out there. 
that they need to, to in order to, to help promote their devices and then answer concerns on the back of that. I think the big issue for me for that phone, other than the camera, which I was really interested in, everything else about that phone is pretty damn great. I mean, no headphone jacks, a bit of a ding, in my opinion, but a lot of people don't care about that. And the biggest, biggest ding, other than the camera being, you know, a hit and miss experience, is the finger, the in-display fingerprint reader is completely unusable. It is, they might as well not bother with fingerprint ID on this phone. It is so bad that, you know, be aware of that if you decide to get this phone, because there's been some sales recently with Prime Day. Oh my God, I have, I thought the OnePlus 6T was bad. Uh, fingerprint uh, scan uh, in display this reader um, and thankfully the 7 and 7 Pro have resolved that but this is way beyond that I mean it's it's literally unusable unusable I, I, I could spend 20 minutes talking about the in display fingerprint technology industry and how we don't have good visualization into who makes what sensors and how many generations of each sensor are out there and who uses what yeah, um, no, I know that. I don't I mean, want to go down that tangent, unfortunately, because <laughs> I, I have a bunch of other things I want to cover in the next 20 sure. minutes, but I would love to have that conversation with you sometime. Um, you know, the thing about it is, here's the, here's the thing, uh, Ian. I have in my pockets right now, I'm kind of like duking it out against each other. It's a little unfair comparison, but, you know, it's the timing of things that make this happen. I have that Nokia 9 preview, and then I have a uh, Xiaomi Mi 9T which is the Snapdragon uh, 730-equipped phone with, I think, 6 gigs of RAM, a beautiful notchless 1080p OLED, a finger in-fingerprint display sensor, uh, sorry, in-display in, in fingerprint sensor that works, and a pop-up camera, which is a gimmick, but it's cool, and three cameras in the back, one being an IMX582, which, as you know, is very similar to the 586. It just doesn't handle 60 frames per second 4K video recording. Um, basically, we're looking at a phone that, right now, other than the software experience, because Android 1 on the Nokia 9 is a delightful experience, everything about the Xiaomi for $350 US blows away the Nokia, including imaging in terms of consistency and overall performance. It is kind of mind-boggling to me that, yes, I'm comparing phones that are six months apart, but it's mind-boggling to me that even a company like Xiaomi, who, you know, it's a bit of a hurdle, the experience, you know, it's a very skin Android. I don't like it much at all, that, that UI. But, you know, it's such a good phone in every way, you know, great battery life. A bigger battery than the than the Nokia 9. And the Nokia 9 is a Snapdragon 845. So the 730 and the 845 are probably... I mean, you're, you're the expert here. How would you compare those two chips? Uh, 730 probably still has a little way to go on the 845. Okay. Um, but the 730 is you know manufactured on the 8 nanometer, the new 8 nanometer process. Um, so you're going to get a lot better um, efficiency out of it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's it's it's... The, the way I see it is that Xiaomi have dedicated themselves to every generation of product, whichever smartphone family they're bringing out at whatever point of the year, every generation is an iteration and an update and an optimization. Nokia keeps trying gimmicks. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, every, every time you do a new gimmick, it's a first-generation new gimmick. <laughs> it's, totally, yeah. I mean, it, it, uh, when Razer did their phone, 
you remember the smart you remember the camera software was terrible yeah. on that because that was their first generation camera software and they were competing against Samsung, Apple and Huawei each with their eighth generation camera software or whatever it's the ability for some of these companies to iterate on their experience has given them the ability of even though they might not be you know necessarily well-known names I, I suspect if you polled the American audience more people would still recognize Nokia than they would do Xiaomi oh for sure but it's it's this is what happens when you actually have a corporate incentive to build and optimize and refine rather than just go for that one feature and but besides <laughs> yeah no but what i'm pointing my point here is that okay yeah the phones are six months apart and they're in the specs are slightly different but i feel that it's a much better experience all around with the xiaomi mi 9t than the nokia 9 yet the price is different the specs are different the software experience is different and and you'd think if you look on paper that the 9 would be the better one right you Snapdragon 845, Android One, this credible camera system with the pure view branding, no headphone jack. I mean, it just it just all falls apart. And and then the Mi 9T has NFC even. So everything everything about the Mi 9T is just other than the software is just fantastic. The versatility of the three lens camera system is really good. I, I feel that the camera outperforms the Nokia 9 by default, at least if you look at the main camera. And and you know if I start comparing the Nokia 9 to flagships of its era. Like, let's say, well, probably the P30 Pro is a little newer, but let's say even the, the Mate 20 Pro, right? Yeah. I mean, night and day, the imaging. Like, the Mate 20 Pro just blows the Nokia 9 away in terms of imaging, and the P30 Pro blows that again away. And I would argue that the Pixel 3 and 3XL and 3A and 3A XL today blow away the Nokia 9 in imaging. And you're going to say, of course, computational photography, it, it will rule the world. And I agree. But they're both doing computational photography. Hello, right? Just yep. one is doing one lens and one is doing five. So I don't know. It's a big miss for Nokia. I really wish I could say something else. I wish I, wish I could say, you know, I was skeptical because I hadn't played with one. And I was really wanting to believe that maybe the reviewers weren't really looking at it the same way as me because I'm an imaging freak. But no, 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 no. They, everybody's been very right with their Nokia 9 reviews. It's, um, it makes me wonder how some of these companies do their market research. Whether it's, to, I mean, I, I spoke to some companies and literally all they say is they do random polls on Facebook and Twitter. And that's, wow. a, that's a bad way to do market research. Terrible. Um, and it, it's funny. So, I mean, we, we, we deal with uh, you know, the PR sides of these companies, whether it's a smartphone company or a PC company or what have you. And even the PR people, they can be so far removed from what ends up being the market research for the engineering side of the company. It's kind of crazy just how sort of separated these companies are. So yeah. we've got some, so we've got a department that's non-public facing that may not set that kind of understands their own product trying to ask people who don't understand the product what they think about new prototypes it's that some companies like this there's a very strong disconnect other companies get it really spot on and I, i'm i feel market research is flawed to, to start with i i car manufacturers do market research and look at the the boredom and meh state of cars today like yes they get you know most people seem content but Cars are so boring and so just like 
you know, like, it's like, why do we have so many small SUVs and CUVs around? Like, you don't need that. A good station wagon does everything way better. And, and it's like an estate for you folks in the UK. It's, it's like, I don't understand it. And, and yet, you know, the market research, the market research, and I'm like, you know, F the market research. Like, Apple didn't care about market research when they made the iPhone, okay? Like, and, and look at where we are now. They single-handedly changed the way we use a phone, right? Uh, everybody followed. And, and I think, you know, same with Tesla, F market research, you know, the, the, that's the way to go. Like, it's, it's like, I'm sick of it. I, I'm like, hire people like us. You know, to, to well, do well, market research. Well, well, well so the, so I, I actually count us in that market research. <laughs> you know, um, in in that. So, but you, I mean, companies obviously they do hire analysts and you know they do speak to journalists. But like I say, we we end up speaking to the PR side of these companies, and you you really do wonder how many of your comments go through. Because I mean, to, to take the um, the Nokia Nine Pure View, they probably. You know, had the best part of what 150, 200 reviews worldwide on that at least. Yeah, yeah. Everybody would have a bunch of comments. How do and they're all collected by different PR arms of the company in different regions. How many of those comments do you think actually filtered through to the design department? Who's going to think of the Nokia 10? But it doesn't matter. Those design department people should be reading these reviews. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. That's they my should. problem. They if should. PR is, 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 should be a two-way street, absolutely. I, I wish pe- more PR people were better at returning that, con- that feedback. But at, that's, if you're in the industry and you're consumer-facing, whether you're in engineering, design, whatever, you should be aware of what your consumers think of your product. It's, you know? To, to, to be honest, uh, I do see a correlation with companies that are willing to put engineers in front of journalists. They're the ones that are more likely to listen to commentary. Absolutely. And I get it. You know, having worked on the other side, on the marketing, PR, evangelism, consumer-facing side of a product company, like when I was at Pebble, it, it is difficult. You know, it is hard for engineers because they're like, they're very tunnel vision. They have their blinders on. They, they, they work on solving that immediate problem in front of them. They don't look at the bigger picture, the market trends and whatever. But I think a good engineer needs to keep their, bring their head up every now and then, look around and see what's happening and go like, how can I make my product better by being aware of what the world is doing out there? And this applies even more to product managers because product managers are the ones making the decisions ultimately and driving the pace of things. And I just feel like, you know, and, and again, that's why I say hire people like, like us, because I mean, I, you know, I'm a consultant primarily more than I'm a journalist and I get paid primarily by clients, big and small companies who hire me to basically tell them what they're, what is wrong with their product or what is right with their product or both before they launch their product. And that is how you do it. You, you hire a few different experts to give you that guidance because these experts, they touch everything else. They understand the market. They understand, you know, where the, the direction of everything, the, the, the trends. And more importantly, they, they're not just biased by a single product. And so you get a much better input that way. You know, and you're going to say, well, there is also another side of this coin. And, and you probably, if you play, want to play devil's advocate here, and that's the, uh, well, you know, journalists have this very narrow focus on what they think of the best phone should be. And, you know, this is, this is primarily true also in the car review world, right? Where car, 
car journalists have this very enthusiast view of what cars should be. And I don't agree with that necessarily. I, I've talked to a lot of tech journalists and car journalists that I feel have their have the right idea. They are very well aware of what the public wants. And they're fighting really hard for the public to get what they want, like better battery life, right? Like better imaging experience that that is easy to use. It, it can be, it doesn't matter if the imaging experience is incredible, but if you have to jump through a million hoops to make it happen, right? You know, it's we, we, we go to some of these product launches um, and, you know, there'll be anywhere from, you know, 100 to... 500 to a thousand journalists in a room you know either in new york or in barcelona or in taipei or wherever um and they'll present you know a product either that's going to be launched there or that's coming up not once have i ever been sort of given a questionnaire to fill out imagine if they did that yeah and they, and, and they just say hey what did you think of our announcement what are the things you liked what do you think that i think things that immediately could be improved um what you know give us your 50 words, initial thoughts or whatever, and just go through them. And, to, and that's, that, that, that would be free consultancy. Totally. Yeah. Well, there you go. Maybe they should do that. <laughs> um, I want to move on to a few more things before we wrap up. Um, have you, I mean, this is really pardon the pun, but boring, but <laughs> there's a phone on Kickstarter you can buy right now, which is called the boring phone. It's a company out of New Zealand, I think. So it's, 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 it's no relation to Elon Musk's boring company. Correct. And no relation to any kind of company that, that works in the boring industry of dilly, dri digging holes and things in general. Um, and it's interesting to me because they basically took a Xiaomi Mi A1, which was a Android one, the first Android one phone by Xiaomi. It's There's now... Then there's an A2 and an A3 was just announced. So it's the two-year-old phone, almost two-year-old, it'll be in the fall, um, that they're basically reskinning with a custom build of Android that, you know, makes this into a, essentially a dumb phone. So you don't have social media, you don't have email, but you have photography, you have texting, calendar, contacts, um, photo editing, and or even photo uploading, whatever. I mean, it's just like basically like the the idea of like, Let's have a phone that doesn't distract you. And so I think the whole thing is flawed. But, you know, but it's just interesting. I just had to mention it because it's like, there it is. If, if, and, if, if you want a dumb phone, now by now, pretty much everybody has an old phone laying around somewhere. Correct. Yes. Wi right. Wipe it. Do a full, complete full reset. Delete all but the essential apps. Yep. And you have a boring phone. You have a boring phone, exactly. And and if you do that with a two-year-old mid-range phone, you get a boring phone. Yep. Because that's the specs. Um, or, and even better, I would argue that you could buy that Nokia 2.2 for $140 and get an even better experience. Uh, and don't put Facebook on it. Don't put Twitter on it. Remove Gmail or disable it. And you have a, you have a boring phone. Yep. There you go. So I don't understand it. And they want, they charge, like, they want you know, charge $300 or whatever it is well, to people well, for this. Fools and their money are quickly separated. Yes, yes. Anyway, I just had to bring it up because it's phone news and it kind of made me chuckle and I will link to the stuff.tv article, which will in turn link to their crowdfunding campaign that I don't think you should uh, back. But but I didn't want to link to their crowdfunding campaign because I don't want to give them that kind of love. I just want to give them a bit of attention because I just think it's an in 
it's this ongoing thing we've had in the industry of like making a smartphone that's dumb or a simplified phone like the Palm phone, like all these phones that have been announced and 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 et cetera, et cetera. But but it's so silly to me when you know you can just take a normal phone, like you said, and you know, even an old iPhone, like yeah. if you want a phone that's old that will really hold its own for a while, get find an old iPhone in a drawer because those things last and last and work and work and just remove all the stuff. Just remove everything. I still you have know? a Nokia 3310. Oh, I, boy. I found it in a box. So nice. Not, Does it still it, work? I need a new battery, but um, I'm sure oh, okay. I can get one if I wanted. Yeah, exactly. And the last little bit of news, this is really kind of like a kind of like, mm, I'm not sure what to make of this news because, uh, as you know, the, the Huawei ban, the US government BS, uh, our crazy, stupid president, you know, having messing everything up for Huawei recently um, and for and I think for innovation in general which I'm big worried my big worry is not so much Huawei but more all this innovation Huawei has brought to the table um, you know the, he verbally relaxed his stance recently and and there's no official take on this no government like the, the list still exists and the ban is still on but but apparently they're not enforcing it because Micron and Intel are shipping parts to Huawei again from the US. So that probably means Google is going to continue working with Huawei, which is a pretty strong partner for them. So I think we're probably okay at least for now in terms of it's, you know it's weird cuz it's was, it's really weird. I mean, uh, uh Trump met with Xi and out of that he made a statement saying, you know, he's going to relax the rules on Huawei. But then um the the US government uh or was it the State Department or whatever? They said, well, he said it, but nothing has actually been submitted. So everything is, you know, as it was with restrictions in place. And as you say, Intel and Micron were found to be discovered to still be shipping some parts to Huawei um, because they removed the Made in USA logo or something in it, <laughs> or, or 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 it was, um, or there was a there was an economic area in Thailand which. They could ship through to get into China, so it was it was something weird like that, um, and you know it's it's companies have been trying to do their due diligence to make sure that they're not falling foul of U.S. regulations, but the people enforcing these regulations kind of they nothing is being heard out of them. So whether they're actually being enforced or not is a different matter. Now it's a complete mess. So the mess continues is basically what I'm saying, but maybe. This is a be- this is an improvement in terms of news. Well, so it's it, everybody knows that eventually this between US and Huawei is going to be sorting it sorted out at least in of sort course. of terms of yeah. companies working with Huawei. It has given Huawei the impetus to start doing their own things, so eventually they're going to become less reliant on the US economy. And do you not gonna... think that they haven't already been doing their own thing? Like I feel like yeah. they could see this coming. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, if you'd have asked me at the beginning of the year, saying you know, if I was making their own OS or they're looking into you know technologies that are less reliant on the US, I would have said, yeah, they've probably been researching this for five, ten years, and they might be three to five years out. All this has done is accelerate the process. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, there you go. So that's more or less what I've managed to gather in terms of news and stories for you folks this week. Uh, I'm probably missing some stuff, but hey, you know, there's a show next week, so. Um, in the meantime, I want to get uh, Ian a chance to tell the world where they, people can find you on social media and uh, on Anontech and all that. Uh, so go ahead and pimp yourself out here. My, my dope self. Um, yep. 
so my, my writing is found on Nantech.com. I'm the senior editor there, um, mostly in charge of our PC coverage. However, I also help the mobile team. Um, Andre and I uh, do the you know, Mobile World Congress, and I cover all the events in London, and Andre gets the phones and takes them apart. It, it's, it's, a, it's a great way we have working together like that. Uh, social media, I'm mostly on Twitter. You can find me at Ian Cutris, that's C-U-T-R-E-S-S. Uh, the name is French. Apparently, I'm descended descended from 17th century French peasants. Um, <laughs> so, so it should be pronounced Coutre, but um, Cutris is how we go. That's and, interesting. I had no idea. And um, you know, like yourself, I I I, I do the odd um, quarterly consultancy calls open uh, through Susquehanna. So, if anybody's interested in that, feel free to hit them up, um, and they'll give you the dial-in details. There you go. And you know where to find me, folks. I'm at Tankgirl on Twitter and Instagram. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character without the vowels. And, uh, you know, Twitter, of course, is where I'm most active in terms of opinions and thoughts and, you know, commenting with uh, you folks. If you want to comment about the podcast, go to Twitter. That's the best way to do it. Um, Also, Instagram pretty pictures that I take with phones and pretty pictures of phones because I like doing that. Um, there's a YouTube channel that's complement to the show, uh, youtube.com slash Miriam Joar, my full name spelt out. If you don't know how to spell my name, just go to my Twitter. It's there. Just remember to remove the space. So so it's just Miriam Joar in one, in one chunk for the YouTube channel. And uh, you'll find the channel. Hopefully you like the videos, subscribe, tell your friends about the channel. There's unboxing, hands-ons sometimes interviews, um, reviews occasionally. Mostly it's kind of a visual complement to the show. So this Nokia 9 I just talked about, you're going to see a video on the on the channel pretty soon where you can see the phone in, in person handled for about 5-10 minutes so that, you know, of course there's lots of content out there that will show you these devices, but, you know, I want to give you some love as well with my own content. So follow follow the YouTube channel, subscribe, all that stuff. And, of course, the podcast, mobiletechpodcast.com. If you stumbled upon this podcast by accident, uh, that's where the RSS feed exists if you want to add that to your uh, podcasting app. But we're also searchable on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Overcast, uh, TuneIn Radio, and of course, I think where most people go is Spotify. So you need to subscribe. Just go on these platforms and look for Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl. And uh, that's basically it in terms of uh, the logistics of the show. Um, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible.com is where it's at for audiobooks. If you like to read, but for whatever reason you cannot read, maybe you're a delivery driver and you have to keep your eyes on the road, but you want to listen to books, well, they are the platform for that. They are the best, the most the most selection. And, uh, you know, they're pretty great. If you like uh, books, but you need to somehow listen to them, they're, they're your ticket. Um, here's the best part. Uh, there's a special deal for the podcast. So you can get 30-day free trial. That's not that big of a deal, but you know, if you get a book during that time, you can keep that book after the 30 days you cancel. So that's a nice little perk. So if you're not already an Audible customer, go check them out. AudibleTrial.com slash mobile tech is the URL. That's AudibleTrial.com slash mobile tech. If you go in the show notes, you'll see the link as well. You can click on that and, you know, try it out and you'll support the podcast and you get to keep a book for free even if you cancel after 30 days. Uh, hopefully you don't. Hopefully you like it. Um, I like to listen to it on on uh, road trips. As you know, I, I drive a lot, so it's nice. Um, 
Anyway, that's that's it, folks. Right? I want to thank Ian for being on the show. Thank you so much for coming. No worries. Anytime. We'll absolutely have you on again in the future. Until then, stay tuned for another show next week, folks. And uh, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.